Fox Mulder here from the X-Files. You know, Mysteries and My Sister and The Cigarette Smoking Man and Roswell and Gillian Anderson and that one with Tombs, the dude who made a nest and the black oil in the eyes and the spaceships and the experiments and the bees. Anyway, I want to believe that I can get wine delivered to me. Great wine, expertly chosen wine, delivered to me within the hour wherever I am. It turns out there isn't a mystery here. I can believe. You should do too. Believe in dropwine.co.uk. Download the app, throw in the promo code KitchenOnFire and get 10 spooky pounds off your first order. Great wines within the hour wherever you are in London. Zones 1 and 2 and a couple of other places. Also, the only mystery I can see is why I haven't ever ordered pate from them too. Because they do that and baguette and stuff. Oi, Scully, do you want to drink wine and eat pate and kiss? I want to believe we'll drink responsibly. Goodbye. Peter Parker or Bruce White? Oh no, <laughs> I missed the setup, which is <laughs> smooth. <laughs> Never ever defrost a mouse in a microwave. <laughs> Let's begin. Keep starting the podcast singing, James. I feel like uh, I'm very creaky at the moment. Creaky? Yeah, my limbs and also my chair creaks. You're like a villain in a movie coming up the staircase. Not a villain so much like a goat. Nosferatu. Why did Nosferatu have long fingers? Is there a punchline? No. Uh, <laughs> is Nosferatu like Dracula? Yeah. He's like the OG Dracula. It's just kind of a creepy thing, isn't it? Having long fingers, long yeah, spindly but they, but, fingers. But they dropped that, didn't they? It seemed like quite a big part of Dracula's vibe. Yeah, but if you if you want to be scary to people, like having little stubby hands, it kind of takes the edge off the terror, doesn't it? Trump's quite scary, and he's got tiny. Yeah. Edgy. Um, all right. How are you, Sam? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? A pretty good form. Um, you know, I haven't lost any children this week, uh, to my knowledge. And, uh, you know, went to a wedding. Uh, oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that. How was that? Who, whose wedding? Where was it? It was my was very it good, good friend. It was my very good friend Laura's, and she has married. Never heard of her, so she's not that much you of a have, good mate. You've heard of her, you've met her. She stayed There's at her only house. one Laura I know, which is Laura from Block One. That you know as well, so you're lying. Uh, you might have been introduced to her as Brad. Her name's Brad. She's called Laura. Well, she was called Laura Bradford. Oh, okay. She, um, you've met her, have I? Uh, yeah. She, uh, she is a very dear friend, and she got married to her, uh, presumably fiance, uh, and they already had a kid, so they did a sort of marriage come baptism, which was a delight. Do you know what you just said? Come back to them. <laughs> Funny you should say that. The vicar was the most Brexity man in the world. He looked like Harry Enfield. He spoke with the thickest Birmingham accent you've ever heard. Oh. And he couldn't stop. And obviously, because it was French on one side and English on the other side, he couldn't stop talking about Brexit. And obviously, he didn't lay his uh, colours on the mast or whatever the expression is. But everyone left being like, that dude totally voted Brexit because he couldn't stop saying bad. It'll all be all right. We'll still be friends afterwards. Do you know what? Yeah. If if the person marrying me 
Because you meet them before, don't you? The person you marry? No, 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 no. The person who's doing the marrying. Yeah. The priest and whatever mm. it is. Is it a priest? What is it? Uh, the reverend, yeah. Reverend. Uh, <laughs> but if they had a, a, like, a strong accent of any description, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to find somebody else. That's quite offensive. Why? Why, why would you have to find someone else? Because it would make me laugh. Oh, right. Would it not, <laughs> yeah. would it not make you laugh? Oh, it did make me laugh, yeah. Well, there we go. But, you, it, but, if it's but he wasn't marrying me. Person. And maybe he'd been their vicar for all their lives. Do you have a vicar? Yeah, yeah, if you live in a little village, then you can have your vicar, who you've known forever, yeah. Definitely. Ah, I thought they moved around, though. Vicars? Yeah, they get, like, Yeah, some do, but some they? are just, like, parish vicars. Like, who oh, just I'm going to Africa or whatnot. Hang out in the parish. Doing some missionary work. What is missionary work? When you go, basically, you go and try and, you know, under the guise of charity, you go and try and convert the uh, savage locals to uh, the true path of Christianity or Mormonism or... Really? Whatever. What would you do that for? Um, I wouldn't. You wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, you can do good things without having to convert people. Like Pros- what, proselytizing. What good things? You just go, you go, go and you know, build schools, create you know, have you, wells. Have you, have you done that? Create wells. I'm not saying I have. Well, there we go. So, who's have the you? <laughs> no, but I'm not dissing them. I think they're doing great work. I, I don't know what they do. I'm just joking. Yeah, but I, so, so there are plenty of organisations that do good deeds abroad. That Doctors don't... Without Borders. Correct. Medicine Sans Frontières. Sans Frontières. Oxfam, etc. Don't yeah. require... But everyone's down, aren't they, now, on charity? Yeah. Yeah, bad PR year for uh, Oxfam. That's kind of gone away. Yeah, that um, did. That was a big deal, wasn't it? And then... Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be curious to see what the split is between the sort of la- loss of, um, for want of a better word, faith in the Catholic Church post the kiddie fucking scandal uh, compared to the Oxfam thing. I suspect the Catholic Church got a better pass than Oxfam did, which is obviously abysmal. But yeah, that's true. There you go. It's weird, actually. There's sort of weird blind spots, aren't there, with these things? Sorry, uh, Luke from The Quietus was tweeting uh, today, I think, something about how people in um, like avant-garde music, like British avant-garde music, give a pass to this guy Genesis P. Orridge, who was in a band called Psychic TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and they somehow he gets a pass, and even though he's renowned as being like, done some pretty horrific things. Yeah, but it's not going to last. Just, you know, we've seen it with, whether it was Woody Allen or Terry Richardson or all these people who've somehow got a pass and then eventually their time comes where it's like, no, you don't get a pass anymore. Yeah. That's not defending the pass, it's just saying... Yeah, but it's also, you wonder, as somebody was tweeting the other day saying about the um, that school shooting and it was like, this one's going to make a difference, this one's going to make a difference, and it was like, that was 80 days ago or something and nobody's talking about it anymore and nothing's actually changed. But they are. I think they are. I think. Yeah. I think this. Whether whether this is the one, but I do think the Florida. Yeah. It was Florida, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. I think the sort of Emma Gonzalez movement is is there definitely is something has changed, and whether this is the the the, you know the the straw that breaks the camel's back or whatever the right analogy is, who knows? But I it's definitely different because they're still talking about that. Yeah. As in, whereas in the past, eighty days later, yeah, but that, but that's what this tweet was saying is like they're not talking about it anymore. Ah, oh, yeah. Oh, BB. What, what treats has he brought? On ice? Cold. So he needs to go in the fridge. Frizzy. 
So yes. Yeah. Right. Not yet. So this our sponsors have just arrived. Is that for Joe? That's for Joe. Yeah. Okay. Our our sponsors at Drop have just arrived with some treats. Uh, can you pop that in the fridge, darling? Um, for our guest, who is the great. I mean, thank God, BB turned up at that point because things were very serious. Yeah. Uh, very political. We're talking about kiddie fiddling and, and school shootings. So. Yeah. yeah. Started big, BB. Started very big. Um, this is what happens when you have a few glasses of red at lunch, I suspect. Yeah. Where were we, James? Uh, we. Well, I was celebrating my maternal homeland. Bye, BB. See you in a bit. Good luck. Good luck. Um, we were celebrating my maternal homeland uh, of Nebraska. Uh, at Zelman Meats, at a, the third annual uh, Nebraskan beef thing um, to celebrate Nebraskan beef. How many times do I have to say Nebraskan beef? I mean, they've definitely, you know, you've definitely now paid off your invitation. Corn fed. Because Nebraska, of course, is the corn husker state. Is it? Yes. Is it? Yes. Sand belt as well, isn't it? They love the sand. Yeah. Which is weird because there's not a sea anywhere to be seen. But there was, James. Was there? Yeah, millions of years ago. Oh, right. Well, yeah, I mean, say that about anywhere, can't you? Well, yeah. Panacea. No, that's. that's <laughs> Pangea. <laughs> yeah. Would you go there? Panacea? No, Pangea. Well, back in the day? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just float in and out, probably. Like a yeah. party that you don't want to be at. Yeah, you would go there because that's all there was, mate. It's either that or you're a fish. Yeah, all right. That was the only landmass, wasn't it? Yeah. So you would go there, else you'd just be in the sea and you'd drown. Well, you, but you're, you're assuming that I've got a time machine that... No, no, no. I was saying, would you go there if it was there? And it, when it was there, oh. it was the only land that existed. Yeah, I'm still not following the logic, but all right. Well, I think the logic is more than clear. The only land that existed was Pangea. Racist. Um, uh, yeah, we ate some beef, didn't we? And we sat with um, Stefan, the editor of Restaurant Magazine, and uh, it was a fine affair, wasn't it? He really laid down some truths about the restaurant scene that I hadn't seen coming. Um, no, he didn't, but he, I enjoyed our time with him. Enjoyed the beef, enjoyed the lunch, uh, enjoyed the fact that we didn't actually overdo it on the booze, so... Yeah. Maybe I won't get ratty this time. And we discovered an awesome pub on the way back, but the beer was not good. But I just liked the situation. It could, it could of the have pub. been so perfect. Can you remember what it was called? Can you look on your phone? Uh, the Seven Stars, I think. We were walking back from uh, St Paul's back to the office in um, just off Kingsway, and taking a taking a little shortcut around the back of the old Bailey, saw this pub, and in my head I thought. We should go back and do some work, but if we see a nice-looking pub, we'll duck in and have a half. And, you know, as ever, Sam, the page was in good form. Yeah. And you were on the same page as me, and you said, ooh, that looks nice, should we have a quick half? And in we went. And it was nice, but the beer was shit. Yeah, the beer was shit. Seven stars? The seven stars. Behind yeah. the back of the old Bailey. But a cool little pub. Yeah. We should go back there. We'll have a Guinness. Yeah. And if the Guinness is poor, then we will never go there again. I think if the beer is bad, the Guinness is unlikely to be good. But yeah, you never know. You, might you never lucky. know. You never know. Never assume anything. Exactly. Uh, what's been happening, Sam? Good weekend. Good cooking. Good uh, eating. Uh, James has been, you know, relatively sort of stressful, stressful week. I'd say last week. How so? Uh, 
Well, my daughter broke her arm. Sure. Um, was that before the podcast or after the podcast? Last before. Time. It's tough to tell, isn't it? It was before. Oh, so we've already done the podcast that she broke her arm. Yeah. Did we talk about it? I don't think so. No, but anyway, she broke her arm, uh, tripped on a poorly installed bit of sort of ground drainage. Are you suing the school then? No, but I was absolutely living because then I picked the kids up from school and I was like, oh, can you show me where you tripped up? And she showed me and they hadn't fixed it. Really? Seriously, like, and I went and said to the teacher, I said, you have to fix that. I'm not saying this because I'm going to sue you or whatever, but you've got to fix it. Like, oh, yeah, so what was it? Sort of like a, a, a grating over a, over a run of guttering in the ground. Yeah. On the uh, yeah. by the gardening thing, and so she there was a gap big enough to get a kid's toe of her shoe right. stuck in it, and so she went over went and splat and Ooh. broke her arm. Yeah, um, that'll happen. So that wasn't good, and then then my father-in-law got taken to hospital. Uh, Abby had to save a kid from choking to death who pulled a cable tie around his neck on the way Whoa. to school. You didn't tell me that. Oh, did I not tell you no. that? Ah. So Abby had quite the day. So, I mean, if she was here, she would tell the story, but she's not, so I'll have to tell it on her behalf. But so the morning... So her day was walking into school, and then as the, she's walking the kids into, the, um, into school, the girl comes running around the corner going, has anybody got any scissors? Has anybody got any scissors? And Ab's like, what scissors? What do you use scissors for? I need some scissors, I need some scissors. My my brother's choking. I was like, that's weird. And then coming round the corner comes the mum with the son and he's picked up a cable tie that he's just found by the side of the road and he's put it round his neck and then just yanked it closed. You know, cable ties so you yeah. can't get them undone. And he's, like, white going blue. The mum's got her, her, her got a finger in between the cable tie and his neck trying to get him some air. And so everyone's freaking out. The, his little brother and sister, this kid's, like, crying and stuff. Milo's gone white as a sheet. And then Eva says, oh, I've got my smiggle scissors in my backpack. So Eva gets the scissors out and gives them to Ab, and Ab manages to get them down the side of the thing but doesn't want to cut the kid as well, cut his neck or whatever. And he's trying to get them, but they're kids, you know, like yeah. kiddie toy scissors. And uh, the kids can't breathe, you know, he's going blue. Yeah. The mum's in hysterics and Ab's saying, I can't cut it, I can't cut it. Then this other woman came over and they managed to cut the cable tie off the kid's neck. Fucking neighbor. hell. And then the mum's in, like, hysterics, but the kid is just like, oh, mum, stop crying, I'm fine, just walks off. How old's the kid? Like, I guess he, I think, being Eight, one, nine, either. Or, yeah. yeah, six, seven, something like that. Crikey. And then, so then we walked up Kingley Vale, had a lovely time, sandwich on the top of the burial mound, up at the top. Always a sandwich then, on the burial ground. Then came home and get the phone call that Ab's dad's going into hospital. <laughs> Who I did tell him. Properly through the ringer, then. That I would, uh, yeah, she had a hell of a day. But I did say that I would absolutely cane him on here uh, to embarrass him into making sure he drinks enough water, doesn't get dehydrated, and these things won't happen again, Mr Simmons. So come on, Mr S. That's so interesting. Uh, sorry, can I interject? Yeah, of course you can. Um, about Abby not wanting to cut the kid to save his life. Yeah. Just because when I did the first aid course, and um, a sort of child's first aid course, and they're showing about the, um, uh, you know, what do you call it when you're uh, pressing yeah. on there? Heimlich. Heimlich, yeah, Heimlich manoeuvre, for example, or like, yeah, all, oh, the, all, the, all the things it. around that. Yeah. You don't get sued for it here. No. America, you do. Yeah. But um, someone said, but like, 
Mike, you break their ribs, and she was, and the instructor said, "Yeah, you probably will break their ribs, but you will save their life." Yeah. So it's like, "Oh, will you break their ribs, but you keep them alive?" Or it's like, "Oh, I'd rather not break their ribs, so I'll just let them choke to death." Yeah, them. sure. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know actually whether how bothered she was about cutting his neck, but anyway, rubbish scissors couldn't get him to work. Yeah. But that's is, do you think that's true? Or is that just what a certain sort of slightly uh, uh, flaky with the truth friend of ours said about? Oh, you get sued in America if you do the Heimlich on someone, so you're just meant to wait till the paramedics arrive. Because that is a question of, you know, seconds between them dying and not dying. Yeah, of course. No. I mean, you know, that's just a comment on, oh, you can get sued for loads of stuff in America. Like, at the end of the day, I can't see you losing that, you know, in any court of law in the world. Yeah. Oh, I saved them from dying, but I broke their rib. Well, suck see? it up, buttercup. So sue me. Um, so anyway, so I messaged Ab's dad. When, so you ever call him Ab Fab? What, my wife? No, your, your Ab's dad, Ab, I don't know, just no, feels it like... Re- it doesn't quite work, does no, it? No, it doesn't quite work, but it works <laughs> close enough. <laughs> um, but, yeah, when we found out he's going to be all right, I sent him a message and I said, mate, I'm going to destroy you on the podcast next week. You call him mate? Yeah. In all seriousness, I hope you're feeling OK. Lots of love. Get better soon, sick note. He replied... You nearly have my shoes and my porn collection, but I'm back. You'll just have to wait. Cheers. Go Saints. <laughs> um, what's been going on with you? How was your weekend apart from your wedding that you went to? No, we didn't finish talking about the wedding, did I? Cause we got... No, yeah. No, the wedding was nice, but... Uh, I don't actually... I mean, if there's, any, if there's something interesting to say about the wedding, let's carry on with it. If not, let's leave the wedding where it was. Yeah. Anything good? Mm, I didn't write any notes. Don't think there was anything that funny. What Just... was the spread? Uh, very nice bit of lamb, Sam. Yeah. But, uh, uh Leg. Never no, fillet, fillet, fillet. Fillet, fillet, fillet. Loin. <laughs> Uh, beautifully cooked, but yeah. I was driving, so I oh, really? was keeping it in my pants in the alcoholic sense. Driving to where? Gloucester. Well, oh, crikey, is that where it was? Yeah. What, you drove up and drove back? Yeah. What's that trek? That was a five-hour round trip. Bloody hell, yeah. with kids in tow? Yeah, yeah. God, you really do... That's uh, so admirable. Is it? I'd be like, no, I'm not going. If I couldn't get the kids looked after. Yeah, if it's Nora's godmother and, you know... It's all... Yeah, it's all nice, but it's like... Yeah, but it's five hours in a car. I, I, genuinely, I'm saying that's really admirable. I would just be like, I'm really sorry, but we can't get the kids out. I can't really do five hours in the car with the yeah. kids. Well, Tom puked all the way back because he'd had two ice creams and it was a catastrophe. Cream. But he's now got so used to puking in the car that he doesn't give a shit. Oh, really? That's he just, good. like, bombs it up and he goes, oh, that was the ice cream. Oh, that was the sandwiches. Really? Oh, that was the... Oh, and Rosie's just there in the bucket. In the bucket with a bucket. It's fine. Um, that is, um, um, that's very impressive. Sunday, this is one of the things I want to talk about. Sunday, we went to a restaurant, which I won't name, um, for lunch as a family. And it's a very celebrated London restaurant within a certain sort of milieu of restaurant goers. And we go there quite a lot. And I've always been very fond of it. I've always felt it's. I've always felt it's on the on the cusp, if not quite considerably over the cusp of of too expensive for actually what you get. Um, but there's something quite lovely about it, and it's in a nice setting. But what really, for some reason, got my goat on Sunday, and it's it. I think that the concept of service is 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 quite an ambiguous one, I would say, and I think 
when you say you've got good service, there are quite a lot of uh, interpretations of that. So it can just be like the food came at a good pace um, and no one fucked up anything and, you know, no one spat in our face, from, you know, from a service point of view. Right. Um, and then there's like actually like I think really good service goes way beyond that and then I think actually objectively good service has to be better than what I just said this is a roundabout way of saying this place I just got got to the end of lunch and I was like just dropped a hundred quid for basically two of us like Tom eating as well but kind of we didn't eat much more than we would have done if it had just been the two of us and with a, one and a half drinks each and it was, it was 50 quid a head and I was like actually we didn't get any service oh, really? as, in, as in like the food came at an okay pace like we were nicely looked after but there was never any sense that someone was looking after us someone was on our table telling us about the food engaged right. with who we you know what we wanted um, and, and, and it only occurred to me afterwards that that is what really good service is is just like making people feel like I, don't know, I just felt like we were an afterthought to their day. Right. We were told we only had a 12 o'clock table and we had to be out by one thirty, and that was fine. But and then we got there and got to about quarter past 12 before someone came to take an order and you're like, okay, probably just getting set up, that's fine. You know, I suppose but, you, know, you wonder with that, I don't know, just to play devil's advocate, but then if they came at five past 12, I mean, 50 minutes is too long, obviously, to wait, but they came at five past 12, you'd be like, oh, you know, they already told us the table, they had to have it back at half one, now they're rushing us. Well, yeah, I mean, there's always that taken into consideration, but just, just the general point is yeah. that I never felt like they were... They gave much of a fuck about us, and therefore... I, I don't mean us, like, they should care about me because I'm me, it's just... I, I suspect that was the service everyone got that day. Yeah. Which is, I think you get to a certain point of notoriety and sort of we're baller. Yeah. That it's just like, we're doing you a favour by giving you a table. We're going to give you your food. Yeah. And give you your drink and then you fuck off. As opposed to sort of feeling like you're being invested in and oh, cared about. Yeah, yeah. And that's what hospitality is. And I, and I think as well, maybe, I mean, I, I haven't been there. Um... But, you know, a lot of the brand of that place is, you know, absolute beacons of hospitality, mm. you know, of caring, of yeah. making people feel welcome. And so you probably notice it even more in somewhere like that whose brand is built on that. You know, the brand isn't really built on anything else, is it? No, but but this is why it sort of struck me as as as, as noticeable, was that it wasn't bad... We didn't get bad service. Anyone, you know, I've probably had the same service every time I've been there. And only this last time I'd be like, ah, that's weird. I don't, I don't feel like anyone gave much of a shit I was yeah. there. And actually, and, and then it made me think, I feel like I get that a lot, and most people get that a lot. And I never want our places to be like that. No, no, no. No, definitely. I think it's, um, I'd say, you know, uh, we were talking to Stefan today about Noma. Um, and he was saying about how it's, you know, you're reading the reviews of the new Noma and the dishes, and he was like, and he loved Noma and its initial guys, um, said it was one of the best meals he's ever had, um, you know, and there's some challenging things on it, but now the menu just reads a bit joyless and a bit like, God, I just don't know whether I want to eat that. And there's a sort of sense of, um, you know, the, what is it, was the Emperor's New Clothes? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I'm not necessarily saying that that's what Noma is, but 
uh, I think that restaurant that you're talking about for me is always I haven't been there so you know but there's I've always had this thing looking at it as being like that it has an emperor's new clothes thing about it for me not talking about the service just I mean the no, se- no, how, no. how celebrated that place is I've, and the prices it is I'm just like you're fucking kidding me same as like the river cafe I would say which I just think stuff like that is such a London kind of no, weird... You, no, I don't think that's fair. Is that I, not? You, beat, you can beat what I'm about to say in terms of the example. It's... it's yeah. Uh, and it's every bit as delicious or bland, but I, I would say it's the food is great. Right. Um, but I think they're charging prices that require better service. Right, OK. Um, would be my take. Yeah, sorry, I mean, and as I say, sorry, I wasn't, I didn't necessarily even mean to take a huge swing at it. I just mean my view of it is different from the example that I've just beeped, that you just said, to my mind. No, not sort of because of the history of it or whatever, mm. but the, you know, just reading a menu. And I'm sure and it can definitely be, you know, in that place it can be not great and it can be stellar or whatever, but... That place was like really like no. I mean, I, I would put them in exactly the same bracket. Oh, okay, well, that's interesting. I think, it, it, in a way, in fact, I would say I've had fewer. In fact, I've never had bad food at right. the first place I'm talking about, and I've had very bad food at the place you just beeped. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, think I the, the execution is always great, but it's like very nicely executed home cooking. Right, right, right. With with like home cooking style service, yeah. But when uh, you're paying fifty quid a head yeah. for no booze, it's like, pfft. yeah. The price, the pricing thing of both of those places yeah. is like pretty preposterous. Anyway, moving on. Sam, um, at lunch, you you touched upon your nursery, and I really wanted to just hear a bit more about your nursery days. What kind of a child were you? It was an absolute delight. I was I was I was pretty much. Were you the perfect child? Adored as a child. Yeah. I'm, I'm a horrific human being now. Yeah, well, we all know but, that. But, but who yeah. adored you? My, all of my teachers, um, my friends' parents. Um, yeah, I was pretty much perfect. What do they do to you? Like, you know, in, in recognition of your delightfulness. They just told my mum all the time how awesome I was. Yeah. My mum didn't. Does she pass. still tell you that? You were such a nice child and now you're a cunt. Does she say that? She doesn't, but she it's clear she dislikes me quite intently these days. Um, but yeah, no, I was a delight. I looked a bit like a sort of cartoon character of a kid, you know, sort of round, chubby. Like Gammon? Kind of like Gammon, yeah. Gammon I, I don't know what that's about at the moment. Was, was... I, I, I briefly looked into it. I think it's just a lot of people who, like David Cameron taking exception to Gammon becoming a slur against people like David Cameron. Right. And Cameron even sounds like Gammon when you're drunk, so... It does. It must be true. The man's head looks like a ham. Yeah. Um, but I just, <laughs> I just saw someone saying it was racist. It was a racist slur right. against, against middle-class white people. It's not really, is it? That's, that's bizarre. Um, yeah, we were talking about my nursery because I now live opposite the ground where my nursery once stood and there's now a block of sort of high end so paint me a picture happy go lucky young Sam aged four little grazes on your knees socks scruffed down around your ankles uh, shoes probably you know a little bit tight because you're growing fast you're a big growing boy what is that boy eating Um, when I was that age I I mean uh, eating a lot you know, too much. Little eater, the oh, absolute happy little, eater. Little, yeah. 
chubby funster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't really know. Do you, do you remember that when you were a kid, what you were eating? Like, I remember no. when I was a bit older, when I was a sort of teenager-y kid, young teenager, your mum would always make pasta with tomatoes and frankfurters. Yeah, classic. That was the go-to. Um, but I don't remember, like, younger than that. Do you remember? Um, I remember... I still have a thing about Wensleydale in the negative because I remember uh, the only classic, like, Yorkshire nursery. Uh, primary school, I guess. Yeah, this is post-nursery. I don't remember nursery eating, but primary school, so probably age five or six, uh, eating a piece of Wensleydale and then puking it up into the bins outside because it was so revolting. Really? Uh, I remember... Would you still not put it down there? Not really, no, it's no. too, it's too, no, texturally, you know, it's gross, it's too lactic and sort of chalky for me. Uh, not chalky, like crumbly chalky. Yeah, yeah. Um, remember the school bully throwing me over the fence outside, remember eating monkey nuts and thinking they were disgusting, uh, and then, what else? That I age. remember sandwiches, like sandwiches when I was a kid. We used to. I used to go to this girl's house called Hannah Berryman, and I would go around her house and we'd watch play school. It's weird. Rachel Berry was the hot girl at oh, primary really? school. Hannah Berryman was very much not the hot girl. Just look her up on Facebook. Um, but we were like friends, and we would go to nursery school, and then after nursery, you know, when, it, when we went home at lunch, you know, half day or whatever at nursery, then we would go to her house and eat cheese and pickle sandwiches and watch play school and she had cats and I didn't like cats mm. didn't understand cats didn't like the way they moved also speaking of cats did you know did I already say this that I didn't realise what that noise is that that's cats purring I thought when cats oh. go meow that I was thought purring. that was a purr <laughs> really and, yeah until when like the other day I don't think I realised no it must have been when I first met Ab and Ab had a cat oh right I thought you meant like and then you got a cat and you were like oh that's purring no but like when I meet Ab and I was like 14, 15 and I was like what is that noise is your cat sick I thought it had like a <laughs> chest infection or something and she was like it's your purring your cat's got asthma yeah that's what I thought Casma. Um, cats get asthma probably a lot of fur fur balls what not um, that's remarkable yeah <laughs> Back to gammon. Like, what is your favourite thing to eat with gammon? I quite like a gammon. A I gammon think it's fantastic. Gam- uh, Friday, gammon. gammon is uncooked ham. Is that correct? I don't know. I think that's the sure difference. What's cooked and what's not. I think gammon is uncooked ham, so it's cured but raw. I believe is gammon. Mm. So a ham is a cooked gammon, a hamon, if you will, or as the Spanish say, jamon. Um, well, that's, that's, that's weirdly not cooked. It's cured in salt. Um, but that because I'm always been unsure. And when I went to Paris to go and see Tom Waits play, and we went to the restaurant Pierre de Cochon, and I had I think it's the sainted butcher's plate or whatever, which is all bits of pork, ears and snouts and hooves and what's nice. This enormous thing, and I'd put down twelve oysters I think beforehand. Uh, and was feeling a little bit on edge and then I basically convinced myself I was giving myself food poisoning because all the pork was pink when I was eating it and I was like, oh no but I'd spent a fortune on it and I was like, I've got to eat it but I was thinking I'm going to have food poisoning tomorrow night and I'm not going to be able to go and see Tom Waits play then it was only right as I got to the end of this miserable dinner where I was convinced I was poisoning myself when I realised, ah, it's all cured Ah. and so are you
of your fear. Yeah, Cured. but I'd ruined the meal by then. Yeah. Uh, what do you have for gammon? Mustard. Yeah? Fried what? egg? Oh, uh, no. What? What do you no. mean, no? No. That's what you have with a gammon. No, mate, baked potato. Fuck off. Chips? Fried eggs? No. But you wouldn't have a fried egg with a gammon? No. You're an idiot. Gammon, egg and chips? Yeah. No. You wouldn't put that down? No. What, in a pub? No. At home? No. Winter's night? Stop making me say no. Slab a gammon. <laughs> slab gammon a gammon. Slab. Cu- couple of eggs. No. Fri- fried eggs. No, no. It's, it's just, you just slice it and eat it like a, it is ha- a ham. Yeah, but you have it with chips. No, you go round to Rosie's mum's in the, in the winter and she'll have a ham on the go and you have lots of mustard. Well, that's a hammon, not a gammon. That's We're talking about thing. gammon. Yeah, you but just ga- said they were two different things. No, I'm saying ham is cooked gammon. I can't believe you're not eating a, what, a boiled egg? You're not having a boiled egg, are That's a cold ham. Turmeric pickled egg. Mm. No, egg, you know, I've egg? never got that. I've never got that. It's you like w- ham and pineapple. Fuck off. You wet up the gammon with the egg. You wet up the gammon with the mustard and the potato cheesy, cheesy butter. Cheese? In the baked potato, absolutely. Cheese and gammon? Mate, it ain't no baked potato if it's not got cheese in it. Yeah, but the baked potato has no place next to the gammon. Neither does an egg. Or well, the does. pineapple. The eggs are put on top of hey, it. Each to their no, own. No, not each to their own when people make mistakes. You're making a grave mistake. <laughs> you, you're. Yeah, that's, I've never heard anything so strange. Right. Temperature listen, wise, it doesn't, we it doesn't your, stack up Listen, either. listeners, we want to hear your opinion on this. Just tweet us at, because we don't look at the fucking email. Tweet us at kitchen underscore on underscore fire gammon slash ham. Are we looking at mustard and some sort of potato preparation? No, it's not or potato you... preparation. It's you're saying jacket potato. I'm saying chips. Also a potato preparation. Okay. Are we looking at mustard and baked potato avec l'accoutrement? Accoutrement. Or are we looking at gammon with fucking gross fried eggs? <laughs> Why is it gross? Let me lead the witness here. So. Oh, okay. And chips. I mean, you can't. Chips is sort of cheating, really. Because everything's better with chips. You're a very peculiar man. Except for baked potatoes. Okay. Hi guys, Michael Stipe here from the band REM. I'm here today to tell you all about Our London Vodka. Our London Vodka is made in London's only dedicated vodka distillery. It's in Hackney, in East London. Wow. Our London Vodka has a deliciously smooth flavor. It's made out of all the delicious ingredients you'd expect to find in a vodka-based drink and has all of the flavor, none of the burn, of those trashy vodkas that your mum drinks because she's sad. If you go to Magpie on 10 Hedden Street and use the promo code The Kitchen Is On Fire, the lovely folk there will whip you up a delicious and nutritious Our London Vodka Based Cocktail with 50% off. Our London Vodka tastes like vodka, but better because it's made in Hackney, in London's only dedicated vodka distillery. And it comes in a cutesy bottle. Um, so go to Magpie, 10 Hedden Street, use the promo code The Kitchen's On Fire, and get 50% off a wonderful R London vodka based cocktail. Mmm, vodka. 
Budweiser. Honestly, what are you doing? King of beers, my friend. It says it right there on the <laughs> bottle. Delicious and I'm, nutritious. My children, I have teenage children, and <clears throat> um, one of them cannot get over that bit. It was a Jack Whitehall, bad education, that was it, where the guy in an interview when he was floundering for an answer said, do you have any special skills? And he says, I came up with the was up craze. Because <laughs> uh, even now my children still know, um, you know, that ad, which was years ago. I, t- I, I, spent one well, ho- I spent a whole tour once trying to bring that back. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. Like, on, on stage every night going, what's up? What's up? And people just. It was too I was like, soon. I'm trying to bring it back. Is it too soon? It too like, soon. It's too soon. soon. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just thinking, another 30 years, somebody will be there going, dilly dilly. Yeah. Oh. Well, what's dilly dilly? Is that oh. Miller? No, it's one of the, it's something that's. Oh, yeah, that new. That it's new, new app. Yeah. yeah, it's dilly dilly. Oh, uh, Bud Light? Is it Bud Light? Yeah. yeah, this is another dropper. Oh, fantastic. Chin chin. Cheers, your health. Well, thanks, thanks for having me Joe. No, no, I really appreciate it. Um, I've been very much enjoying listening to the podcast. Oh, God, poor you. <laughs> I've been seeing The awful thing was that the, the microphones hopefully are on and then you'll be able to play this at some point. Yes. Sam, that's never going to work. <laughs> yeah. You tease me for not knowing the spe- size of things, as it were. Uh, so, boarding school in Yorkshire. Other side of Lancashire. All my cousins went to the one in Yorkshire. But you're a Yorkshireman? Yeah. Well, yes, how can you tell I'm a Yorkshireman? Because I fucking tell you. Well, yeah, well, but I'm a Yorkshireman and I don't have an accent or tell people. Where are you from? Ripon. Oh, it's quite posh then. Yeah, it's, uh, it's trying, but it gets sort of, it's in the shadow of Harrogate. Um, and my um, family have lived around Bradford for, um, can't care how long, years and years and right. years. And w- uh, for those who don't know you listening, which I, I'm sure is a very small number of people but what's uh, what's the, what's your background in terms of what you're doing now with uh, wine flogging and well not wine flogging but wine sort of championing um while well, I'm between series of the wine show and so we we sort of we only made two so I don't want to make it sound too routine actually because uh, we had um, our first series was um, sort of two and a half years ago and it took us quite a long time to film it and I was a wine merchant before that right. I still sort of I'm a wine merchant really right. I've never been one of those wine writer writers you know who furiously goes and endlessly tries to get columns and they does do bits and pieces I'm quite like selling it you know, right. at the front end I used to sell it in Glasgow years ago and then um I got this call out of the blue, um, or a sort of Twitter message actually. Will you come along and make the wine show? So I said, um, I, I did say, I did say yes. Or I kind of had my reservations. There's a great discussion in the show because lots of people said no when they were first asked about coming to really? the wine show. Yeah, had and you it, done television before that? Yeah, I had. Right, um, which nobody will remember. There's a series called Joe's Diner, which was on BBC North in um, Yorkshire, where I travelled around and made historic food recipes to sort of heritage food. So we did things like have a cake. Have you ever had a have a cake? No. It's oh, oh. What's a have a cake. A have a cake. It's like a sort of. It sounds like um, what you get in your groin after a. It dumb looks run. a bit like a base. It's, it's a sort of cross between porridge and a pita bread. Is the easiest way of describing it. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely going to cook this thing. Up. No, it's it's you cook it on a hot stone and it's an oat cake, like an oat muffin, but it's very flat, and it comes from the Swedish, well, the Viking word havre, which means oats, from which we get. Right. 
the word haversack. Right. Now haversack is literally a bag for carrying oats. So Heston ripped you off then? Because that was his gig, wasn't it? He's making up, you know, going, finding the ancient recipes, and then he had that whole series, didn't he, before yeah. dinner opened? Well, this was 1995, we were doing oh, this. That's unbelievable. It's me and a guy called Marcel Guiou. It was brilliant TV producers disappeared now. Marcel made it, came to fame, actually, he was, um, he was a friend of my aunt's at university, and then when I was very young, he was the producer of Jim Will Fix It. Um, Brush that, no wonder he went. Yeah, you don't necessarily put that in your CV anymore. And in fact, I was meant to be on Jim Will Fix It when the Pope came to sing. And Marcel had sort of got our letter to the top of the pile so we could sing for the Pope. And Were you um, also a singer? No, well, I was, I was made... No, this is terrible. It was, no, I wasn't, but I was a chorister and we did make a record. Right. And we did sing internationally. And so, But then I was like 10 right. or 11. And right. You're forgiven. And we sang. I forgive you, like the Pope. <laughs> we sang in the Ice Steadford and Montreux Choral Festival and stuff. And so we, when the Pope came to visit in the 1980s, um, Marcel says, right, We'll get you. And then for some reason, security wouldn't allow us to do it. You kind of wonder what would a load of 11 year old boys, well, crack it, might not have Why would the Pope not want to stand in amongst a large group of 11 year old boys? Um, <clears throat> so anyway, big question. Though. Big question. Marcel and I got together sort of years later. Who's the Pope then? John Paul II, right. JP2. Generally, sort of hardline, but sort of, there's not a lot of scandal around him. No. Made various I mean, people saints. He died before that happened. Uh, yeah. That's um, a, that is amazing that you would know anything about any Pope who's gone. Come on. Do you not what have a favourite Pope? I don't, my knowledge is slim. I have a collection of pictures of the 10th most hated Pope in history by general Pius, acclaim. Pius the right. 9th? Past the 10th, tenth. actually, yeah. He was the one who had the sort of secret service of um, spies. He encouraged um, people to sort of spy on their neighbours to see if they were, you know, blaspheming. OK, he wasn't the one during, during uh, Hitler's time who sort of... Uh... No, that was... Um, oh, no, it was Pius the 12th. Right, because, he, you know, he, 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 made, he made everyone sort of celebrate Hitler's birthday from the pulpits and... Really? All the, weirdly, yeah. the greatest scholar on Pope Pius XII um, is a Fatterini. Really? Yeah. and she's A relation? A, well, not really, no. She's, we don't think so. We, we don't really know how our family connected to anybody in Italy, other than one cousin who lives in Valpolicella territory, right. actually. Right, nice. It's just around the, the vineyards where they get all the Ambroni grapes. Uh, my cousin Andrew, um, who moved back. So he'd been brought up in Yorkshire, and then he, he sort of moved and married an Italian woman. But yeah, so there's this professor... Um, at the University of La Sapienza in Rome, and she's the world's leading expert on Pius um, XII. Yeah, I had no idea they were sort of ranked like this. Like you could do like Pope top trumps. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, what do you mean? I have yeah. a whole book on it. Like, like, uh, I mean, I understand there must be people in the world who are familiar with the history of. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe yeah. that anyone has yet produced. Well, I say this, I don't think anyone's produced a pack of Pope top trumps cards. But mm. having said that. I bet you could go to a tat shop in Lourdes or Rome yeah. and somebody would haul one out. It would happen. Yeah. So, I uh, might make one myself. Yeah, it sounds good. Because you can have all sorts of interesting you ratings. You know. I would learn then. I'd be yeah. like, ah, oh, I got... Have you, re- have you read produced. Conclave? Conclave no. by Robert Harris. Brilliant. Next time you're yeah. on holiday. Yeah. Uh, great holiday read. It's about, it's about the conclave for the next Pope. Sort of, you know, they say it's not based on anyone but presumably it's um, based on the death of Pope Francis, so the 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 you know outgoing slash recently deceased Pope is very liberal and progressive, 
and the conclave of trying to make things a little bit more conservative and it's, it, that sounds very boring but it's a, it's a good book I still look that one up I like Joe, a good read. So I've never even told you remotely how I ended up what I sort of do at the moment. Now, we make the wine show um, in sort of blocks. So we made series one a couple of years ago. We made series two last year. And then in between, I sort of go back to my old world of working within the wine trade. Right. And, uh, doing various bits out in the trade. I was working with Green King, helping right. all the teams sell drink in um, assorted pubs in the north of England. Which so you do training and merchanting yeah. and... Yeah. Where's, um, where, where's your base? And in London, so I work in, right. in central London and, uh, and then sort of travel out hither and thither. Um, yesterday I was handing out sommelier awards. Yes, it was a big day. So who won? Well, there's a guy called Julien who works at uh, Club Gascon. Right. So yeah. there, he won. And I was just a compere there, camply wandering around sort of encouraging them to do bits and I was made a sommelier ad honorem ooh it's like when Jeremy Clarkson gets sort of a professor of something from yeah, Reading and University it, not that I'm in any way massively showing off but I'm going to I'm going to show off massively um, I was Imagine so that. delighted sorry that they gave me here it is I've been given a chain of office you can hear it clinking oh so it's like a, a mayor. A, a chain. It is like a mayor, yeah. Is that a sipping cup? It is. It's a Tastavan sipping cup. The Association of Italian Sommeliers, AIS. Oh, that's so, very cool. So you sort of wear that around. That's it. like the wine based yeah. Flavor Flav. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mr. T's yeah, yeah. missing ornament. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a must have been a very proud moment. It was. It was probably actually. And you get a big certificate. I get a lapel pin. Can you put it back on? Put it back on. It's big. Maybe unbutton a button at the top. Get I, it. I want to have some sort of fancy bit where you pin it in the middle so you get more jangly <laughs> yeah, chain. Now, now you're holding it like that and you've given yourself a give sort of outline of boobs. of boobs. Yeah. That's very good. I don't know if the phrase chain boobs has ever been yeah, used I, I was just When I said it as well, I was thinking, I don't know, I've said the word boobs for about ten years. Chain boobs is, uh, what's his face on... Um, Evan Davis notoriously hey. has pierced nipples. Tensile tits. How does yeah. it? Is that what they call them? Right. Yeah. He has a whippet. Um, I have, uh, my wife and I have, a um, Daxons. And to our collective horror ones, the Daxons and Evan Davis's Whippets, worked in tandem to catch and brutally slaughter a squirrel in Hyde Park. Oh, and there was this awful meeting. You heard no one say, oh, you're Evan Davis. But actually, all you're doing is going, oh, what the hell's happened here? There's this dead squirrel and these two dogs going mad at it. And it was probably illegal, sort of two of them hunting a didn't, squirrel. Didn't you have a situation like that over there? Is that you? Like a weird situation with a celebrity? No. Where you just want to go, oh my god, you're Mr. T, um, no. but you're actually watching a dog die. So. No, not me. Oh, your, your wife, the double R. Oh, hanging out, with, hanging out with B. Cumberbatch. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Is that really? Yeah, she, but uh, yeah, she was on a beach with Benedict and uh, he said, hi, I'm Ben, because our kids were playing together. I wasn't there annoyingly. But so not quite the same as a squirrel dying, but... Yeah. No. But that wouldn't be illegal hunting because you're not encouraging it. And that's, that's how they get away with the drag hunting because they say, we're just walking the dogs, yeah. we're giving them something to do, so we're dragging along a dead fox to give them something to chase. Oh, oops, they've chased an actual fox. Oops, they've killed it. Sorry, that wasn't our intention. That is the line. My lud, that is going to be my defence when yeah. this comes to trial. <laughs> 
We had an oldest child. I've got five children. Bloody hell. Children, I know. Sort of, I'm, I'm oh. what they call a breeder. And What's um, the age split? The oldest to youngest? My oldest daughter is just in 20. And, uh, so 20, 18, 17, 14 and seven weeks. So, and like the right Ronnie man. Wood of wine. <laughs> vast numbers of children. Yeah, Ronnie Stave, or, or that's, that's bad. We could do better than that. But, um. Um, and my, so my oldest child, my oldest daughter, remember she once, this woman came rushing out and saying, somebody got a child locked in the ladies' lavatory, and we realised it was Carol Smiley. <laughs> Fresh Fantastic, from yeah. when she was doing all those property shows. It was when yeah. Carol Smiley was quite famous as well. Changing rooms. She's changing changing rooms, rooms, yeah. yeah. So then, you're in the heart of darkness of the first three months of children. Oh, yeah. Hence, the, I, I sound like sort of Barry White with a you know, bad cold, which I, I don't have a cold. I was talking yesterday, so I lose my voice terribly. I don't know what you usually sound like. Although we have been doing our research watching More you on YouTube. More this, I say. Right. Nasal. Apparently, sound men um, often think I have a cold when they're doing the edit of the wine show and the producer goes no he's from Yorkshire and they go oh right oh, yeah. and they just producer being Melanie nasal. Yes, a producer that producer is Melanie yeah um, I know Melanie you know Melanie yeah the legend that is she Melanie Jappy yeah so, well, the wine show is kind of her well it is her, her sort of creation I'm merely the sort of the voice, you know the wine monkey who. so it's quite an extraordinary setup because you've got you as the expert and then you've got a load of lovies um, yeah, the other, the, and, the, and sorry, not sorry. you as the only expert. You've got Amelia, Amelia and Singer. Is there um, one other? And we've also well in series one, um, Gizzy Erskine came along in series right. one. She went to Arizona and trundled and hung out with. Um, do they make wine in Arizona? They do. Didn't know that. Oh yeah, it's the Mendoza of the North Americas. Is that what um, they say? She was with Maynard James Keenan from Tool and Pussifer. Oh, yeah. massively into. That sort of rather thoughtful metal, isn't it? It's yeah, of... it's very complicated, ridiculous time signatures. The guitarist has like an eight-string guitar and the bassist has a six-string bass. And they're yeah. about to release their first album in a long time and no song is under ten minutes. He's very theatrical, kind of... Yeah. Very bright dude, but then weird, suddenly it's like, oh, that guy's super into wine and makes wine that's supposed to be pretty good. It's stuff. outstanding. My favourite wine of Series 1 was his. Really? Yeah. Um, he, from he Merkin Vineyards Merkin Merkin Vineyards yeah. the label is quite something to watch um, <laughs> falls foul of all sorts of regulations when it travels around the world well imagine um, and his Caduceus Sangiovese from series one was one of my favourite right. ones so yeah, the, yeah, the, the setup is that there is and where um, would just, just to be a professional here where would a listener you can't that. buy in the UK. The mad thing is, actually, can't is anybody it. listening? Well, no, 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 seriously, is anyone listening? Can we please find a home for about 100 cases of Maynard James Keenan's wine? I know someone who'd do that. Ooh. Yeah, John, uh, who's indie, on his own, nectar wines, he gets some very, very cool Californian, predominantly, but a few bits and pieces from elsewhere that have no other agent over here, and he buys them up. It'd be outstanding. And the amazing thing with, with the wines, you get them listed, and in America... They sell incredibly well because Maynard sort of says, oh, my wine is listed in such and such a shop. And then thousands of tool fans just go and buy it. Yeah. And so everything goes overnight. They don't tend to hang around an awful lot. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll get, get a listing for, for Maynard's wines. Um, very cool guy. I spent quite a bit of time with him. Sort of went out for dinner when he was in London the last time. And um, you suddenly Where did you go? It's two in the morning. Um, we went to Noble Rod. Right, yeah, you fair know. enough. That's so strange. Maynard James Keenan in uh, Noble Rod. That is... Peculiar. <laughs> I mean, not peculiar at all, obviously, because he makes wine, but on paper, 
They're always about, so impenetrable unless you're sort of that's your thing is yeah. to be into tall. Like their fans are incredibly, you you know they have a whole world around them because they're so peculiar but huge. You know, go and play stadiums and he often wears wigs and. Oh, yeah. I went to see him at the Camden Rand House um, with Pucifer because he's also got a perfect circle as well. Sort of three yeah. different bands that he, he works with. And we went to a wine tasting backstage, and he's in a three-piece suit, looking very. But it's sort of a weird three-piece suit because he's got skull and crossbones on his tie and that sort right. of thing. With slightly outre suit, and the shaven, he's got bald head and everything. We had this bit, and then at the end of this, quite interesting, you know, fascinating tasting, and he's got his orange Sangiovese blank that is blanc that is no Vermentino, orange Vermentino, and then some weird Sangiovese rosé that he'd made, and all these kind of old wines. So we tried it. And then he said, "Look, I'm going to have to go and get." ready to go on stage um, but you know enjoy the wines and then go around and, and we'll see you later and then sort of ten minutes later you go and you get into the seas and he comes out wearing a gimp mask with a Mohican woven into it yeah. um, and there's two Mexican wrestlers beating the hell out of each other on stage yeah, and he's just wearing a pair of like glittery pants sort of Nacho Libre uh so yeah, yeah, featuring yeah. Jack Black that sort of is that what a Mexican but he wasn't leaping around a lot because he'd had a hip replacement <laughs> so, that was not rock and roll becomes hip replacement and vineyards. I mean, it's a brilliant debate when rock and roll is suddenly become very normal. It's got hip replacement. Um, so yeah, he was that was in serious one. So I'll keep remembering. It's like the one of those Billy Connolly sketches where you go yeah. off on long rambling. Um, Detours. The problem with um, this podcast is we end up talking about other things, and then it's like, oh, we could have probably gone for five hours and still not talked about what we were meant to. Those are the best but, things to go and do. Yeah. yeah, it's not great for listeners, but. Well, you don't have the power of editing, which we do in the show, because we do go on for about five hours. We can imagine we have a no-spit rule when we're doing the show. Do you? Right. So, you know, by the last bit of filming in the day, 40 minutes later in a three-minute segment, we're still banging on about it. Can you give us some tips about uh, diction and elocution? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Enunciation? Because my enunciation goes after about one drink. There was a one bit film we'd been filming in the first series, and in the show, the, the, the bits, the tasting bits, there was me and we have our two actors. So there's our experts, me and Amelia, and then sometimes other. We have Jager Wise, who's the head brewer at Wildcard Brewery in Walthamstow. Yeah, yeah. She came out with us in series two, she's brilliant fun, had lots of fun last week with her. Um, <clears throat> Gizzy was in series one, but actually, in the, we're based in each series in a villa somewhere. Or a chateau. So right. series one, we were in um, a, a villa in Italy, in Umbria, Lazio, and series two in a chateau in um, in France, in Bordeaux, no, Bordeaux, in uh, Provence, out in the hills. And there's me and two actors. So series one was Matthew Good from Downton Abbey yeah. and The Crown. He plays Anthony Armstrong Jones brilliantly. Um, and he's in an Agatha Christie thing, I think, at the moment on the telly. Yeah, and he's um, also no, yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, and. Um, and he's been in lots of films and bits and pieces. And in series one, we also had Matthew Reese. Yeah, who I really liked in Burnt, which hey, you still yeah. haven't seen. Some. I haven't seen Burnt, no. Quite enjoyable. And he's very good in Burnt. Yeah, yeah, he's very good in Burnt, which is always one of those brilliantly cutting remarks because it suggests other people weren't quite so brilliant. No, I thought it was quite... Mm. I mean, it's, it's a crap good film. Yeah. Or is it a good crap film? Um, good crap either. Film, it's, it's a film that, if you like food, you'll enjoy. And he's great. He's a sort of Larry Welsh chef who fell out with uh, Bradley Cooper's character back in the day but they sort of have this weird uh, rec- um, recon- reconciliation is yeah. that the right word? Because yeah. you know where, they tra- where he trained for that? He did a stage with um, Bryn oh, up at oh, did he? Is that where he learned the Welsh accent or is he Welsh? No Reece, he's properly Welsh, yeah, yeah, Welsh. Yeah, His language. first language is Welsh I think Is it? Yeah 
um, his first language world speaker. Um, every so often he comes and he does an amazing sort of Richard Burton. Um, oh, does when he? we're on sets, every so often he'll do the St. Crispin's Day speech from Shakespeare. And you know, wow. as good um, as uh, what's his face? Um, what's the actor? The little guy on the trip. Oh, Rob <laughs> Brydon. Rob, Rob Brydon is a great Richard <clears throat> Burton. Yeah, he's a little. He's a brilliant mimic. Between bits, and because what, what happens? We sit in the studio. So series one is Matthew Good and Matthew Reese. In series two, Reese was filming uh, The Post with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, right. played by Spielberg. Yeah, famously rang his mum up and said to her, "I've got some good news and some bad news." He was telling us this story. He said his mum lives in South Wales and Cardiff. His parents, I met them, a lovely couple. And apparently, she said, um, "She said, what's the good news?" He said, "I've been cast in a Steven Spielberg movie with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks." And she said, "Oh, that's good news." And he said, "Well, what's the bad news?" He said, "Oh." It's Terribly. I can't. I, I can't do the wine show because they're filming at the same time. And apparently, so they love the wine show. Well, apparently, his mum had a handover this evening. Could hear her going, Glenn, Glenn. Downstairs. Terrible news. Matthew <laughs> can't do the wine show, and he was going, Yeah, but I am in a Steven Spielberg movie with yeah. Tom Hanks, and she's going, I know it's awful. It's terrible. You can't make the wine show. It's the best thing you've ever done. It's like six years of the RSC. The best thing you've ever done was going and being in the wine show. Um, but so he was filming that so we only had him for one day and we filmed our gadget feature which we have on the show so we have James Purefoy who yeah. is brilliant in Altered Carbon if you've seen that or Happen Leonard which is mostly in the States I mean you might need to get it on some Sky channels I oh, just always enjoyed it's got um, Thingy from The Wire in it yeah um God, and then this sort of comedy name. duo down at the Yeah, South and I think they're about to cancel it or something. Which is, yeah. I think they've just, yeah, I think they've filmed their last yeah. uh, season. And I've never seen an episode, but everyone's saying, uh, the article I was reading was saying it's one of the best things that's been on TV and very much underwatched. Yeah. And, it was br- and it's brilliant, and he's a brilliant actor, you know, lots of fun sort of filming. So then we've got these two actors, always two the, actors and me, and sorry, then we, we taste. Uh, what was the thinking behind getting actors involved? Um... They're normal people, which caused the brilliant irony is they're not in any way normal people. Yeah. But wine television has never really worked. No. Well, it has. You know, Oz Clark, brilliant. And he opened up the world of wine with Jilly Golden for lots of people. Janice Robinson, who we had a bit in series, series two, she, she was our expert, our resident expert, had made things like Vintner's Tales, which had been very popular in the past. Hugh Johnson had done the story of wine. So there had been kind of wine telly, but mostly actually it was Oz. With bits, you know, Ollie Smith had done um, Saturday Kitchen along with Peter Richards, Susan Barry, all these kind of people. So we'd had little items, but actually sustaining a half hour or an hour long TV programme about wine never worked. But it had always been based around the idea that the expert was the star of the show. And the point of this was the expert is not the star of the show. I mean, I suspect if you were to tot up the time, the person who's on camera the most is probably me, notionally the expert. But the stars of the show are the right. actors. And when I mean we sat down with in series one we sat with Matthew and, and Matthew, uh, which is why we always ended up calling Goody and Reese because they got very confusing. They're both called Matthew, and I asked them both off camera about their wine drinking, and Matthew Good is kind of into it, right? But like about I mean I would sort of roughly say I mean I think there's about four to five percent of people are actually really into wine. Mm. Like there's about three or four percent of people are really into trains or cars or I don't know whatever it is. There's about four or five percent of people are really keen on wine. There's a bigger constituency, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 percent or something, who kind of are into it, but they're not quite sure they know enough. And he's a bit like that. It's like Barolo's good, isn't it? You go, yeah, yeah, Barolo's very good. Yeah, it's, I like Barolo. You know, but he always wants to just double check that he is liking the right kind of thing. 
Whereas Matthew Rees represents probably about 50-60% of people who know what they're like and haven't got a clue what it is. Yeah. And never really got into wine until they were kind of much older. So Goody will sort of say, oh, out of the Bordeaux regions, I like Santa Milan. You know, that's good, isn't it? You know, Chateau Gloria is nice. He's never anything really left field, but he yeah. kind of knows what he ought to be into, but he just double checks for security. Matthew Reese is like, I haven't got a clue what I like. And so he'll go, I think I like Pinot Noir. And he said, all oh, right, well, if you like Pinot Noir, then you're likely to enjoy Frappato from Sicily. Remember, that was one of the first wines I put him onto. And we were in his favorite restaurant in New York. And I said, oh, try this, it's Frappato from Sicily. About four bottles later, like, no, I really do like this. This is very good, yeah. So, uh, for for those uh, listening who don't um, don't particularly know about wine, like what, um, like where where do you start? Because everyone, you know, any sort of non-wine person finds the whole thing. Because I think that's the thing that you said about the TV (coughs) as well. You know, those little bits on um, on Saturday Kitchen. Yeah. I imagine that that must be a... I'd love to see what the sales are on those things because you see people watching them as being... You know, it's a huge amount of information for people who are probably like, oh, God, I don't know, because people get quite intimidated by it, whereas that's all just put across like, this is in your supermarket. You can go and buy that on that day. Yeah. You know? So that Saturday afternoon, you mm. go to the supermarket, you're like, oh, we're going to have whatever it is you're having for dinner. You're probably not cooking what's on Saturday Kitchen. But, you know, it's it's that amount of information is amazing and it's put across in such a simple mm. easy way because yeah. I think that's so much of a thing with wine like out of the pair of us James knows a vast amount more than I do about wine and probably would say is more interested in it than I am but it's definitely I mean I remember sitting in tastings pigeon when we opened the restaurant and being like god I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about you know and I, you get nervous about making a comment on something because you're you, know, you feel like you're not allowed to unless you know what you're talking about. And the weird bit is people get nervous about it. Yeah. Because there seems to be this huge downside about not knowing about the right thing to go and say. Yeah. And I suspect one of the challenges restaurants find, because wine is an important part of the overall business mix within restaurants, chefs don't really know very much. And often, for fear of making the wrong decision, it's not that they want to make the right one, it's more that they're terrified of making the wrong decision, then just sort of subcontract it out, often to somebody who doesn't really know that much more than them, but just sounds hugely more confidence-inspiring. And I think there is an element of utterly rubbish wine expert sommeliers, certainly wine consultants. I mean, the number of people I've known who make really good livings as wine consultants, and they know naff all about wine, and they charge a massive fee. But effectively, they go up to effectively vulnerable chefs and go, ooh, if you get this one wrong and you know how scary wine is, and they go, oh, yeah, I do know how scary wine is. Well, does nobody ever go, oh, you know how scary cheese is? You know cabbages? Oh, you get the wrong cabbage. Oh, it'd be terrible. What a disaster that would be, you know. I mean, people sort of have that confidence to go, I think that my fishmonger's rubbish. Yeah. You know, I just think this lot's a load of nonsense. But with wine, people have that thing. I'm really worried about saying the wrong thing. Saturday Kitchen, I have this huge bit. 90% of wine sales are not about finding a nice wine. It's about not finding a terrible one. Have you ever come across this distinction between optimising and satisfying? It's a big sort of economic theory. Most most of the people, most of the time, in most scenarios, are what it's known as satisfiers. The primary thing they want to do is to not have something that's shit. Right, and yeah. it's the same in cars and televisions, and they'll pay a premium for it not to be shit. So a lot of stuff around branding, people don't buy Samsung Telly because it's good. They buy it because it's a pretty good guarantee it's not going to be terrible. Whereas you could go and find all the same sort of qualities in a, you know, 
Yang Yong television yeah. because you've never heard of Yang Yong televisions so you think well it might be absolutely dreadful yeah. and so a lot of advertising is based around convincing people if we're it's not a shit. We're it's not shit, prepared yeah. to go and you know, blow this much money on an advertising campaign. It's probably not shit when you buy it. So is that why medals make such a big difference in it's wine? Massively why it is. Because it's, right. it's not a guarantee that they're good. Everybody kind of knows that vast numbers of people who enter competitions get medals. Yeah. And the whole thing's sort of circular. I mean, you know, there'll be somebody listening here who's bronze and wine competition. It'll be livid. But I mean, I'll, there are a number of wines that don't get medals. Most of them probably do. When you get medals, you have to pay for each one of the little stickers you put on the front. Right. So you pay for rolls of stickers. So they're actually they're a massive revenue stream for the, conf- the competition organisers. It's sort of an incentive for them to give lots of... Because right. you notice there'll be like gold, silver, bronze, yeah. special commendation, not bad in its class, <laughs> you know. Didn't taste like piss. Yeah, yeah Didn't absolutely. Didn't great on a Sunday when it's <laughs> raining. Absolutely. So you get all those kind of things. <laughs> and all of those are based around it's got a medal, it'll be you yeah. know, okay, like Maureen Lippmann with an ology, you know, oh it's got a medal, you know, yeah. he must be doing quite well. So there's an awful lot about whereas optimizers, I belong to a very small group of what you call wine optimizers, and that I want to go and get absolutely the best thing when I go out there. In a pound to pound thing, that doesn't mean I want to spend a lot of money necessarily, I don't have a lot of money. But if I go to a restaurant, I'll fanny around looking at the list for ages to find that one weird thing that's actually quite good. And so when people I often get quite cross when I see wine writers sort of saying um, how to get the biggest bang for your buck on a wine. It's a very common sort of line. Yeah. Let's go and get the biggest bang for your buck. Most people couldn't care. It's like, here's how, here's how to do something that won't be really embarrassing yeah. when you open it. And a lot of the fear isn't that it'll taste bad. It's that there'll be some sort of social embarrassment. Yeah. Because there's such a James Bond thing about buying wine mm. anyway. You know, we have that fear. Everybody remembers it, diamonds are forever, and there's Mr. Went and Mr. Went and Mr. Kid. Mr. Kid, that's it. And yeah, the only gay Bond villains. The only gay Bond mm. villains. You know, good quiz. That's good quiz knowledge. That you know, who are the only gay Bond villains? And they're brilliantly weird. And they are brilliant. Yeah. And you remember the bit with the the cloche at the end of James yeah, Bond sort of scene, yeah. and, and there's On the, the boat, and there's the bomb under the yeah. cloche. But James Bond sort of effectively rumbles him by asking for um, a claret a claret and he says you know it's a great wine from Bordeaux and he said oh, I'd hope for claret oh yes our cellar is poorly stocked with clarets and he comes out that line and he's you know a Bordeaux is a claret and I smell a rack he smells yeah. his revolting aftershave and throws him off the edge in a yeah. sort of weird slightly homophobic kind of farm that, yeah, the that only song? gay no I don't but I was just thinking the only gay Bonville the only openly like that oh, was a thing that they okay, were a couple fine, of right, Mr. Winter, Mr. Right. I was just thinking about you know Otto Goldfinger Bordeaux, Bordeaux is a claret. That's not the first time I've smelled that <laughs> yeah. uh, after shave, and both times I've smelled a rat. Oh, nice. And then throws him off. And then throws him off, yeah. Oh, he's a bit homophobic. Well, he's the bit because he does a sort of thing where he pulls his legs, arms between his legs. And yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, enjoy it. Ooh, like that. And you sort of go, mm, God, really? I don't remember this. Year no, we in that, you know, Can um, you remember what's on the menu? No, I can't. Uh, God, I remember there's oysters, Andalus. Uh, Shashlik. It's a very strange menu, and oh, that's right. And then they, Mr. Wint or Mr. Good, the 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 guy with the long red hair, and he says, and for our dessert, bombs surprise. And Mr. Wint uh, pushes on the trolley, uh, which has a bomb on it, but it's under a dessert, and and obviously Bond realizes and throws the bomb off the boat. Sorry, spoiler alert, but that's amazing. <laughs> nice amazing. Should have watched it by now. Yeah, yeah. Is that um, right? That's yeah, it's about nice yeah. But that, 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 I think that thing of of 
as you say, not not getting something close, but just not making a social faux pas mm. or whatever. Yeah. I think it's such a thing. I mean, I remember what's that? What, see, I'm done with wine. But what is the amazing white that we have at Magpie that I love? Oh, the um, wild, the Sauvignon, wild, the wild ferment, wild yeah. ferment. And, from Elgin. And J- yeah. James, there was a tasting, and James said, "Oh, you'll you'll love this. You'll love this." And you know, uh, waves a glass at me and says, "Oh, what? Try that. What does it taste like?" And I was like. Oh, it tastes exactly like jalapeno peppers. And he was like, yes, exactly that. And I was like, you know, it's like this relief. It's like you get something right, you know, and you feel like, oh, I got it right. Like, I didn't get it wrong. And if I'd have said it tastes like something else, which it may well have done to me, but Mm. you... I mean, I'm less uptight about it now, but just as an example, I think it's... Ghost Corner, Wild Firm. Ghost Corner, it's delicious. Um, And indeed, we know, science tells us, that you almost... the, The chances are you finding something completely different in the aroma, or at least describing it very differently, very high. It's an amazing study by... um, she was a scientist at Lund University. It only came out earlier on this year, and it was to do with the way we sort of perceive stuff. And this is a this is why I have a bit of a thing about not describing what you think things taste of when you do descriptions. Quite often on the show, this makes it out to sound far more well planned than it is when it's just me rambling, really. But when we're describing wines on the show, often I'll describe textures and what you do with it and. Sometimes much more general stuff about overall quality levels and stuff, rather than say it tastes of ABC. And this was always a Jilly Gordon thing, it tastes of ABC. And it, it, people used to caricature it a bit. And they always wondered why, why is it, well actually it turns out that we are very bad at agreeing on what things mm. taste and smell of. And there was this fascinating study, it's in um, Malaysia, I think it was, there were these anthropological researchers. And they suddenly kind of came across this thing. On the whole, people describe colours really consistently. We would tend to describe this as a sort of Lovett green, as a little beige mat that we have in here. Love it. Or a, you know, <laughs> a sort of bright emerald green. I love, green, it, or but, love um, it. green or whatever. We were quite good at generally agreeing what things, the colour of things. We're very bad at agreeing what the smell of things are. Mm. And she, these two researchers, I think they were both women, and certainly one of them was a woman from Sweden and one was from somewhere else. They discovered there was this tribe of people who lived, you know, I don't suppose we're meant to call it primitive, you know, they lived a very basic, um, pre-agrarian lifestyle. And they would describe things very accurately, aromatically, so they tested it. And they got all these American research students and these local people, and they got them to look at a whole series of colours, and on average, most people described the colours consistently. More than 80% of the time, they were both in both groups. When it was aromas, they both got these things of aromas, the Americans were all over the place. I mean, it was, you know, less than half of their wow. descriptions were kind of overlapping. Whereas these people who lived out in the middle of the jungle, bang on, just like the colours. And the really interesting part of the study is also stuff about their... They have this quite interesting way of talking. Um, we only have one abstract noun for smells, but we have 11 abstract nouns for um, colours. And the only abstract noun we have for a smell is musty. Every other word we use for a smell says, it effectively, is it smells like. So we don't, we don't class smells into a whole group of smells, whereas this tribe did. What they would do is they would start with a whole class of smells. They had one which was for metallic things, which included fish and blood and tanginess mm. and even sort of slightly citrus bits. These were all generally metallic, and then they would narrow it down. Anyway, they did this research study with another group that had a similar language, but they lived an agrarian lifestyle kind of up the way. Turned out they were just like the American students. And the hypothesis is that the moment we start to be settled and live a farming lifestyle, 
we very quickly lose the ability to agree as a group consensus what a thing smells of because we no longer need to do it and somebody characterized it, it was a piece afterwards they said it's it, it very rapidly after you stop being a, a sort of hunter-gatherer lifestyle you stop needing to be able to tell your neighbors whether that smell is their cat or a tiger and you know if you smell cat piss well is that my cat or a tiger and it's really important if you live in a sort of hunter gatherer lifestyle yeah. to be able to make that distinction is that my cat pissing in my face we were talking on the podcast a few weeks ago about um, people who have micro awakenings like, so you wake up and they're like you don't know that you're awake mm. um, sorry for everyone who's listened to the podcast uh, from a few weeks ago so I'm repeating <laughs> it but it's a measurement of loneliness so people who are lonely wake up, have these micro-awakenings in their sleep, so they don't know they're awake, but their brain switches on, then switches off, and switches on, switches off. And they study, and they and they worked this out because they studied um, a tribe of people, like a more hardcore version of, um, not Mennonites, I forgot this last time, the Amish. Amish. Yeah. So they live in a very small, very sheltered community, and they had zero micro-awakenings in their sleep. They go to sleep, they wake up in the morning. And that was because their cats never pissed on them. And that's because, because when, and they hypothesised that when we were asleep on the planes, uh, we would have to wake up. And if you were by yourself, you would wake up more in the night to make sure that you weren't about to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or whatever. Whereas now, obviously, you don't have to. So people who are less lonely have less of these micro-awakenings. I can totally so, do that, yeah. Similar to the idea. You stop needing to go and have yeah, a thing. You don't need to know the difference between... Uh, stay on the sherry? Or, I'm going to stay on the sherry. Really enjoying this. Female Cesar Florido. Ah, you've love Cesar. Cheap honour. Um, we are learning more about the way we you know, enjoy and appreciate wine and, and sort of aromas generally I think there was an awful lot of we reckoned it was such and such and I do have a general sense that some of the things that we see as being slightly ridiculous about wine are often rooted in actually it's probably true I and mean, I've always noticed people tend to caricature wine experts as people who bang on and go oh I can smell this and I can smell such and such you're sitting with guys well it smells of what's the um, Matthew Reese's thing the other day it smells of concrete and fireworks you know that kind of stuff. Well, that's nice, it? though. I like that. That's we great. quite like it, but we kind of know it's not really. But wasn't, there, wasn't there a sketch though? Wasn't <clears> it on the far show? Something. Oh, it smells like young boys' drawers and um, uh, desks in my schoolyard, and all of that it was. A it must be the Cabernet Franc. Far show. Or something. Um, but we do know that on the whole, most other people wouldn't agree with us that that's what they would smell when we smelt it. And the other thing we know is. I think the upper limit for being able to distinguish dif- distinct aromas in a liquid is three, maybe four. There's some debate about whether it's three or four. So as soon as somebody gets onto like five things, four or five things, they're, ch- they're fibbing. I mean, they just you can't do that. Humans can't do it. There's no way. Was it um, Gordon M. Shepard's book Neuroenology, and he cites some studies. The upper limit for discriminating aromas in a single right. liquid is three. And so we people actually viscerally. Deep down, they know that somebody's coming out with a load of mints when they yeah. claim to be able to smell all these different bits and pieces in a wine. Because actually, they know that they can't. They just don't know that they know that they can't. But just yeah. just to come out to bat for your side, I think the um, I think the temptation is so strongly to dismiss any sort of wine chat as complete charlatanism, which I don't think it is. Absolutely not. Um, and. Everyone loves a study that goes, oh, well, they got five wine experts in a room and gave them a red wine that had been dyed white and put blindfolds on them, and they didn't know the difference, and it was the same temperature. It's like, well, you know, you can fuck around with people all you like, but um, 
you know, that doesn't mean to say their expertise is 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 diminished. I always hate that one about um, the, the, the particularly those studies where they dye one wine one colour because I mean, in the end it's just hoodwinking. In that sense that they are these are fine discriminations. Now if you said to a group of wine experts, right, there's a lineup of red wines here. One of these is a dyed white wine. Identify it. They would nail it every time. People would just be able to hammer in and go straight for it. We do know that in the phrase, I mean, the more interesting thing for me is not that you can hoodwink wine experts, it's that we know wine tasting is what they call multimodal. And the way we tend to appreciate wine is that we don't go in like robots, mm. you know, identifying things. We look at it and we go, right, I'm now primed. In my case, I'm looking at a glass of sherry. I know from the colour, because it's quite dark, I know it's likely to be slightly oxidative style of wine in some capacity, you know, because wine smell it and get this kind of yeasty thing so you think right that must be kind of fino and it's you go down a bit of a road um somebody could have i don't know bung some uh, you know into just... it, <laughs> it would be a seven you could go and take very really basic wine and probably add some bits now you know persuade me it was a fino sherry i mean you probably could but it doesn't necessarily mean i'm not able to go and enjoy and discriminate and actually wine experts what they're really good at very often is identifying overall quality of stuff mm. and we do know when you start to say to people right put some really expensive wine some really cheap stuff on the whole the experts will nail which mm. is the more expensive one because they are sort of different and there are methods of doing it there is a technique to going and doing the famous blick technique yeah balance length intensity complexity Indeed. The four qualities of a good wine. Balance, length, intensity, intensity complexity. complexity. This is unbelievably useful. I learned this when I did the Master of Wine, which I didn't pass. So you're um, not an MW? No, God, no. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Stop wasting our time. Uh, what, uh, what did you get on your... Um, which one is it? <laughs> Level two. two. Level two. Level two? Yeah. Craig, it's such a long time ago. Oh, of course it is, but come on, you stop, remember stop what you've done. I genuinely have no idea. It must have been about 30 years since I did it. Yeah, yeah. Major, probably, what did you get? Probably didn't. Me, not me. All right, what did you get in your level two? No, it's, it's not a big deal. No, no, he, no, do, no, he, doesn't, he really doesn't can like we, to talk about it. Can we talk about, about it? No, he doesn't like to talk about it. Well, I would like to I talk about it. I mean, I've got a 98%, but let's not. <laughs> 98% level two WSCT. Let's not fixate on that. No, I am now quite What did your brother get, Jen? He got 64. Yeah. Are you quite happy about that, aren't you? No, I said to the... I did it uh, a year and a half, if not more, nearly two years ago, uh, when our... So our GM from Pigeon was leaving and she'd been looking after the wines and I thought, well, I'm going to take over and I better sort of get my shit together. So did it. And uh, when we said to all the staff at Magpie when we opened last year, look, if you want to do WSET, we'll um, contribute to the cost of that. And... And I said something dickish, like... I didn't say what I'd got. I said, if you beat me, I'll buy you dinner or something. Yeah, you you didn't. I did. I followed up with, yeah, James got 98%. <laughs> uh, and and my, brother, my brother, who's AGM, no, yeah. uh, Magpie. Uh, I didn't promote him, just just for the record. Um, yeah, I did. Don't want to make it seem sort of too um, incestuous. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, he did something disgraceful, like 64%, so... Yeah, he's dead to me. My brothers are like that. We have this. I was with my brother. He lives in Australia, so we don't see each other very much. Although weirdly, we're going to see each other three times in the next couple of months because it's sort of about as well. I'm going to Australia in a bit. And he came across and we were sitting having dinner. And the, the wine show has a. We have a. We do some work with them. Um, a lot of work with celebrity cruises, the cruise ship. And so I go away and do tastings with Amelia, and we have lots of fun doing it. And we were sitting watching the telly on Sunday night. And my brother, in that way that younger brothers do, absolutely apropos of nothing having not seen each other for five years leant across and he said it's good that you've achieved your life's ambition I said what's that and he said 
that you're a cruise ship entertainer. <laughs> I was brilliantly, I was properly yeah. out cutting. I was like, thanks very much. Yeah, no one quite knows how to get to the core of you. That's what brothers and siblings. Some? Yeah, should I start? Okay, just quick fire. You can expand, but it's you right. know, I'll come optional. Back right, just let you have a big see. moment. Big moment, Joe. White or red? Uh, red. Uh, Prosecco or Carver? Uh, Carver, even though it smells of baby sick. Baby sick. Yeah. 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 It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. I find a lot of wines taste uh, taste smell like um, nappies, like that yogurty, yeah. yogurty sort of nappy smell. Yeah. It's the malolactic fermentation. Absolutely, MLS. Um Peter Parker or Bruce Wayne? Oh no, <laughs> I missed the setup. Which <laughs> <laughs> smooth. Jancis Robinson or Robert Parker? Uh, Jancis Robinson. Peter Parker or Bruce Wayne? Um, Peter Parker. Really. Uh, Spider-Man instead of Batman? Yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I've never really got on with Batman in a weird kind of really? way. But I think it's possibly later Batman that put me off the earlier ones. Uh, okay. Oh. Yeah. And also the was quite funny. Yeah, the move, the move of the hand is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I suspect there was what a top. When yeah. I was, you know, because I'm ancient, you could get those toys that would sort of fire it off. Yeah. But Batman didn't do anything. It just fly from car. building to building. Yeah. 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 Oh, 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 agility. Wayne Sleep or Sloop John B? Um, <laughs> Wayne Sleep for the trousers. Calvin Klein B or Aqua de Gio? Um, because the only one I've ever bought was Aqua de Gio. That's a good one. Pinot Grigio or Pinot Noir? A Pinot Noir. That's too easy. Oh, Christ. Steak and white wine or fish and Malbec? Um, that's a good one. That is a really good one. Um, I'll have monkfish and Malbec. There you see, get powerful. out. Wine wanker or food snob? I'll have a wine wanker, obviously. Stella or Foster's? Uh, so easy, come on. Stella. Correct. I'd say absolutely incorrect. What? I'm going for the Amber Hey, Stella's decent. Time. Stella's, Stella's a good disgusting. Drop. No, it's I not. Think Stella's foul. Fuck off. I do like the reassuringly expensive tagline because yeah. it's an example yeah, of the pratfall effect. Yeah. Where you admit a fault to make you seem more attractive. It's yeah. a very well-known... Adver- it's oh, the same as Nauta Bit Nice. Oh, OK, right, right. Think of the number of things where they admit an, a fault in it. And a way, like a good Yorkie, thing's... not for girls. Yeah. But, but, but it's more things like good things come to those who wait. So right. what's the worst thing about a Guinness? In ages to pour. Yeah. Good things come to those who wait. Oh, that's right. What's the worst thing about Stella? It costs a lot of money. Mm. Reassuringly yeah, expensive. Okay. Cream cakes. Who came up with naughty but nice? Don't know. Cream cakes. Salman Rushdie. Really? For what cream cakes? For, for, you know, he was advertising cream, um, cream cakes, and, and it was a sort of ad slogan. It was like the milk marketing board or something. And he the, came out with that. And he came out with the line naughty but nice. Yeah. Uh, Faye Weldon came out with the line go to work on an egg. It's very, you know, very inefficient form of transport. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. <laughs> See, I tell you what, this podcast is absolute gold. Yeah. Joe is just <laughs> fact dropping all over the shop. Castellero del Diablo or Jacob's Creek? Um, I have been to both, but I had a piss in Jacob's Creek, actually, and I doubled the flow because there was almost nothing in it. Uh, Castellero del Diablo. Yes. It's a solid, it's a reliable yeah. corner shop purchase. Yeah. Uh, Buckfast or Brandy? At least in Glasgow, Buckfast. Good answer. I love Buckfast. Yeah. 
Love is a strong word. A velvet Elvis, isn't it? Champagne and Buckfast. Bucky, um, Bucky, Bucky, and yeah, Bucky and Bucky and Fizz probably. Bucky and Fizz in Scotland are kind of a yeah. thing at parties. Yeah. Um, right, Sam. Sheep, counting or skin? Counting or skin? Sheepskin. Well, question. I have skinned a sheep, so... Um, oh, I was going with more the coat, but if you want to talk about... I've skinned a lot sheep. of sheep, actually. I once had a pocket... I was once on the radio in Scotland, and we had this sort of opening, like a sting sort of logos thing, and it just had my voice at one point going, I've skinned a horse. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, counting or skin? You're going with skin. I'm going to go with skin, yeah, skin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, canoe or kayak? Uh, canoe. Nice. Uh, snakes or worms? I have a snake, so I'm going to be a snake, yeah. What a kind of snake? Rainbow See, constrictor. amazing. These, on paper, these are ridiculous questions, but then you learn a lot. She's called Consuela. Consuela. Is that prison slang or is that? No, no, no. True. It is. And there is a thing on Instagram called Wine, uh, Wine Reptile Club, of whom there are three members. There's me, oh, yeah. Christy Rasmussen, yeah. who has a, got a brilliant uh, bearded dragon, and a friend of mine, uh, Simon Barrett, who has a python. And we sort of vie to put our reptiles. And Simon's always putting his python around bottles of Ikem. Um, and in case of Ikem, he must have got a lot of Ikem at one point. I had uh, Consuela wrapped outside around a bottle of 43 Lafitte. Crumbs. <clears throat> so is it, is it a, a bad snake? A good snake? Like, can it kill you? Snake. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I mean, can it put you down? No, no, no. no. And she'll, oh. She can be a bit tight every so often. And she once got rather interested in the dachshund, but she didn't get him in. <laughs> Really? Yeah. What do you, have what you do got you a miniature dachshund? I've got a miniature dachshund. Ah. And even then, she'd never get him in, but she was quite... She'd give it a go. Yeah, yeah. So what does, she, what does she eat? Rats. Rats and mice. <laughs> yeah. Crumbs. Yeah, it's quite exciting. How often do you have to feed them? Oh, a couple of times a week. She's quite hungry, actually. Right. Yeah, mostly once a week. Every so often, she gets a bit of a... a do, you put, do you have to put them in alive or dead? No, dead. Right. It's not very good to put them in alive because they've never really learned to eat live ones. Oh, OK. So you sort of defrost them. Never, ever defrost a mouse in a microwave. <laughs> I did it once. But what happens is, you know how like, a microwave heats from the inside out? Yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, what you end up with uh, is an exploded sort of Arctic rat. roll, <coughs> in, <coughs> inverted. <laughs> the, the middle of it has this sort of lava, of shit lava, inside, enclosed in a frozen mouse wrap, and it, it has explosive qualities. So suddenly, the thing's turning around, and then there's this sort of Catherine wheel of feces that squirts out at both ends. See, on paper, on paper, if I'd have shown you this question, you're like, what the fuck are you asking about the, whether he likes snakes or worms better? <coughs> Look at this gold we're getting, and the noises he's making. It's like, he's got some sort of bad shit. Rat Arctic roll. Okay, cheese or biscuits? A cheese. My brother makes his own cheese. He's just made his first camembert. In Australia? Yeah. No, no, this is my other brother. He lives oh. in Bedford. He makes also, he makes rat, um, not rat, uh, <laughs> he makes rat, rat uh, he makes a, a squirrel salami. Really? Which is surprisingly good. I had squirrels at right, St John. It was delicious. Yeah. And uh, cliched as it may sound, it tasted very nutty. It is nutty. And the, really nutty. the nutty fat on uh, squirrel salami yeah. is amazing. Uh, cheese and biscuits or tea and biscuits? Uh, cheese and biscuits. I don't Still have cheese. biscuits with cheese. No? With tea. I just have tea. I think it's insanely large. You need to tea. move to this office. Yeah, biscuits. Biscuits. Uh, no, but I used to be hugely fat and I lost uh, six stone, so I can't eat a lot of biscuits, so I'll be six stone heavier. Have uh, you got any over-unders? No. Okay, I've got four over-unders. So this is overrated, underrated, okay, yeah. or correctly rated. Yeah. Horses. 
And overrated. Overrated? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not keen on them. Do you know, my aunt once lived in a, vill- a village in Belgium. It's so brilliant. They had uh, seven butchers, one of whom didn't specialise in horse exclusively. There were six exclusive horse butchers and Stunning. one who did every <laughs> other else. species in the world. And they were the busiest. Yeah. Uh, olives. Um, underrated. I love olives in every form. But do you feel they're, uh, they're overrated? We said underrated. underrated no, sorry, I think they're underrated. I think yeah. we don't have enough olives. I mean, we don't use them in enough different ways. Oh, so maybe, uh, maybe correctly ish. Yeah, cor- uh, DVD box sets. Well, do we? Do people still get them in box sets though? You just go on Sky. Oh, that is true, isn't it? Yeah. I you know with the baby, I watched the whole of Mad Men uh, during the gestation. And I'm for nine months. Yeah, I'm sort of a lot of it when I was exercising indoors on my bike when it was cold outside. And I'm more than halfway through The Sopranos since he's been born. Uh, And then I'm going to finish. I just rewatched The Sopranos again recently. It's good. The Sopranos. We stopped The the Sopranos after our last one was born, and then Now TV cruelly whipped it off. But then I bought it on DVD and said you can have it. You can borrow. Yeah, where is it? It's at home. Bring it out. Sopranos is the best. And also, I've been cooking from the Sopranos a lot. I do Sunday gravy oh, yeah. very often. When you know you do lasagna, uh, ziti al forno, and then you have the, the sausages later on in the week. And the brachol, yeah. and the ribs. Yeah. Yeah. I, do, I bought some fantastic ribs. There's a brilliant butcher in Yorkshire I go to. And Where'd you he go? Was so happy. The weird thing, right, this is amazing. Everybody should do this. There was a butcher called Weatherheads in Grassington in Yorkshire and they were doing okay and it was a brilliant butcher and they've sold up the whole thing and they've moved it into a garage forecourt spa as you do as you so everybody goes to the spa because you go into the spa and it's all the kind of spa things and you get your petrol and it's one of the greatest butchers in North Yorkshire sitting there nice. selling you know limestone country beef it's all made from um, belted Galloway cows that are bred locally only ever graze on grass outdoors and it has to be on areas of land where the subsoil is a limestone pavement I mean, I mean, to, I mean, to be fair, I mean, they're not paying us to sponsor them, so maybe just simmer down on all the love. Or get some cash out of them. Yeah, if they want to send us some cash, if you give them, pass on our bank details. If you give them bank details. And the final one was underwear. Um, Overrated, underrated, or correctly rated? I think it's correctly rated. I, mean, I don't think about it a great deal. I do no. use it to cover my sexualized parts. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I think it's correctly rated. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's good stuff. I wear Swedish and underwear. You've got to, you've got to keep it safe. Swedish, really? Well, I have a Swedish wife, so she right. buys me Swedish underwear. For Lovely. Them, made by Bjorn Borg. Just keeps your stock at home. What does Bjorn Borg's name translate as in English? I just know my joke didn't land. Okay. <laughs> I didn't hear your joke. What was your joke? So keeps your stock at home. Keep your stock at home. Uh, okay, right, okay. Uh, what does Bjorn Borg What's Bjorn translate Borg's name as? in English? Uh, uh, like, man of the home? No, Bear Mountain. Really? Yeah, Bjorn Bear Borg. Mountain. Imagine that. Why, Bear shouldn't mountain. Wear, why shouldn't you wear Ukrainian um, underpants? Because uh, Chernobyl fall out. Chernobyl fall out. <laughs> I thought I should just uh, get serious at the end. Oh, I yeah, want okay. you to know your opinion of the following. Yeah. Is wine just a bottle of wine? Or is it the last stage in a piece of performance art. <laughs> I think I came out with that line in an episode, didn't I? You did. It was at Vigna Vic. 
How <laughs> pissed were you when you asked that question? I mentioned Studio That's a real 54. stitch as well, right? Yep, Studio 54. I mentioned Studio 54 went, in that video. I went, what are you talking about, Joe? And the brilliant is that, like, loads of people are like, what the hell is Studio 54? I was like, come on, Andy Warhol, what are you banging on about? Um, that winery, Vigna Vic, It looked actually, amazing. I think it is the last piece in a very complex, big performance art gag. It looks almost. fucking amazing. It was it's extraordinary. It's like a Bond villain's letter. Yeah. You know the best thing that people haven't watched it is this vineyard in Chile made by um, a Norwegian billionaire, and they it was a complete scrubland, and he just ripped the whole thing up, put massive vines. The actual site is 20% the entire size of Burgundy in the Cote d'Or, the Cote d'Or in Burgundy. And it's absolutely vast, that sort of site. Not all of it's planted. But in the middle, there's this little hillock, and on the top, he put this hotel with a $10 million titanium roof on it that we dented when our um, local <laughs> drone pilot crashed his drone into it. It's about 40 miles an hour and it hit a bird. And it was all covered in blood and there's this ding, there's like feathers everywhere. But the whole thing has got this Japanese angle in the middle. And so there are all these rooms. Each room is in a different style. I was in the Japanese room. Mel, our producer, was in the Hermes room. Beautiful. There's Hermes scarves and all that kind of stuff. But what was brilliant is the drone pilot had been told, do not, in any circumstances, fly the drone first thing in the morning because people might be going to the loo. Anyway, I'm sitting and I've got the curtains open, watching the sun rise over the majesty of the Andes. I thought, I'm going to have a fantastic crap enjoying the sun rising over the Andes and what a hit and looking out the window there's the there you are I'm being filmed brutal trolleys around my ankles yeah it's probably worth it to get a shot of that for the viewers at home to see the best place in the world to fortunately get hit the cutting room floor um, most wine is just a wine it is not a piece of performance art but there are some when you wonder that place is it's like um, Inspector um Sorry, in Spectre, Spectre, the latest Bond film, which was, uh, had its moments for sure. I enjoyed it as a film, but that whole bit with um, Christ- Christoph Waltz when they go to his lair, it's kind of got that weird openness to it um, in terms of, you know, architecturally and yada, yada, yada. It was an extraordinary yeah. place. I mean, you can, you can go along, there's a spa and you can have treatments. And in fact, just, the wine. Go, just, just look on YouTube, Joe Fatterini's Best Bits. Joe Fatterini's is Joe Fatterini's Best Bits, which is less exciting than you might imagine from the title. There are very few Best Bits. You obviously underperform on I underperform horrendously on the no. show because I'm mostly... I love how the opening question, we still haven't even remotely scratched the surface of that. What was that? It was something about being the show, I don't know. Who even uh, remembers? Um, Joe, um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure, um, as ever, with good guests as you are. Oh, so like we, could, we could keep going for Thank hours. Thank you, Joe. Um, can we plug you? Um, I don't really have an awful lot of things to plug in, a sort of weird way. Um, we, uh, are you related well, to Joey Fatone? That was a question we wanted to ask. Fatone? <laughs> From Ensing. No? No. <laughs> So you're just at Joe Fatterini. At Joe Fatterini, yes. I'm on a variety of social media forms. Apparently I'm the third most influential wine writer in Britain in terms of wine After sales. Janice Robinson and Matthew Jukes, who writes The Mail on Sunday. I don't Sunday. know who he is. Because um, well, I don't read go, The Mail, because they're a bunch the of Nazi cunts. Uh, anyway. 
Uh, <laughs> ideally, maybe come that. off the fence there. Um, no, at Joe Fattorini on assorted social media, that's with two Ts. Uh, we will have the wine show, we'll come back, I think on five select, they're going to reshow it in the spring, and then we'll go back um, in the autumn. Um, available for weddings, bar mitzvahs, and really weird funerals. Kids' birthday parties? Ooh, animals and children. Yes, absolutely, I'd do that. Stunning. Thanks, uh, Joe. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure. Goodbye. Bye. Joe, say bye. Bye-bye.